I wanted to be Emma Peels from the Avengers. <laughs> so I know, number one, she was smart as a whip, uh-huh. uh, witty, very witty. Yes. <laughs> yes. Could kick butt. I love that. And she, but she used that skill only after she tried to talk to people and use her brains. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am delighted to welcome Lynn Maureen Hurdle to the My Fourth Act podcast. Lynn is a communication expert, a conflict resolution strategist, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitator, and she has conducted this work all over the world. Lynn wrote the best-selling book, Closing Conflict for Leaders, and she delivered a powerful TEDx talk that I just love called The The Weight of Hate. Lynn has a waiting list for her transformative On the Matter of Race group experiences. The subtitle of this workshop, White People Committed to Beginning the Journey Together. She's also the mother of two beautiful sons, Jabari and Naim. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Achim. Two things out front. One, Lynn and I crossed paths back in the days about 30 years ago when we both worked at a company called the Victim Services Agency. We did some really cool work, and Lynn was my boss. And obviously, I liked my boss because we're speaking with each other 30 years later. (laughs) That's right. Secondarily, the reason I invited you on this podcast, in my mind, you have been a luminary in the conflict resolution world for 30 years. You have worked with all the big names who do this work, and you've always flown a little bit below the radar. And a few years ago, you decided, screw this. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) going to fly below the radar anymore. That's right. And that story is really interesting for me and hopefully for my fourth act audience. And I promise we're going to get into that. Okay, Lynn? Yes, we will. We will. She says (laughs) assertively, we Uh, will. That's right. (laughs) It's a great story, though. I know it is. Before we start, what always interests me You and I are both in our 60s now. We met when we were in our 30s, and we were certain people at that time in our life. I didn't know Lynn as a young girl or a teenager. So when you were a young girl or teenager, who did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) That's so easy for me. I wanted to be Emma Peels from the Avengers. (laughs) Uh, I loved her. I loved everything about her. I probably couldn't pinpoint it at the time, all the things that I loved, but I've kept her in my heart and my vision all my life. And so I know, number one, she was smart as a whip, Uh uh, witty, very witty. Yes. (laughs) Yes. uh, She could kick butt. 
I love that. And she, but she used that skill only after she tried to talk to people and use her brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if, if that didn't work, she was perfectly capable of handling herself uh, if you came at her. And on top of that, she was so fashionable. I mean, she just, she just did it all for me. She sounds like a totally fantastic role model to me. <laughs> she was. Now, she really, as, nobody as it, else was doing what she was doing as a woman at yes. that time. Yeah. But what I'm wondering, as you're saying this, was this Lynn's little secret or did mom and dad and your friends all know that this was somebody who you admired? I know my mom and dad did because I, I love the Avengers. We watched it all the time. And then I always talked about her. I don't know if anybody else outside of that did, but they definitely knew. That was my girl. Very nice. Now, if I remember correctly, now I want to tell it fast forward to about 30 years of your life and just (laughs) put the light on a few moments that might stand out for you. But if I remember correctly, you, you studied theater, but you also studied conflict resolution. Yes. For about 30 years, you ended up working in, in many different contexts, places, roughly in the conflict resolution, diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Mm-hmm. Having crossed paths, I know how powerful that work can be, how challenging it can be. I know that sometimes we would work under also rough circumstances, which really tested our commitment to doing the work. I know a lot happened in that time in your life, but if you had to think of some moments that stand out, yeah, this is why I was doing this work, or damn, this was pretty hard. (laughs) What are some moments that stand out, Lynn? Yes. You know, it's interesting because we've worked with uh, with teenagers, a lot young people. And I know one moment in particular for me was uh, when you talk about my commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, we were in a middle school and a young man really did not speak English and we didn't find it out really until the, uh, the really the end of the first day. And when he showed up the next day, number one, it was a Saturday, you know, let's talk about hard. We did early Saturday mornings <laughs> all day. Oh my gosh. And so he showed up and, uh, and one of the teachers came and said, I don't know how much he's getting. He really doesn't speak English. And I said, well, you know, I'm so sorry. We don't have today anyone who translates. And so I don't know that he's going to be able to finish. And he started to cry. And one of the teachers said, uh, talk to him, pulled him aside. And he, he spoke to him in Spanish. And the teacher said, he said, his parents fight all the time. There's so much conflict in his home. He thought if he could just be trained as a mediator, he could help at home. And I said, oh, 
nope, he's not going anywhere. We are going to do whatever we can. And I asked the teacher if he would be willing to sit beside him for the rest of the training and just translate and make sure that he got everything that he needed. And for me, that was such a power, like, this is why we do this, right? Because we don't know all of the reasons that people come to the table in any conflict. But certainly when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to make room for people, right, who who may not speak the language or just do things differently. We have to make sure that we are prepared to include everyone. So that one stands out for me. I think hard one for me is when we would go and people, you know, young people, unfortunately, lose their lives and still today lose their lives over conflict and to go into uh, schools and places and dealing with the community, dealing with parents, dealing with administrators, when there's that loss. For me, I've been Mm -hmm. in a lot of situations like that. And that has been uh, both rewarding to be able to come in and try to help get conversation going, but also devastating to realize that Something as small as the way that someone spoke to someone or looked at someone actually ended people's lives. And uh, and for me, that the work that I do in conflict resolution is all about that. And leading up to all of the things that I do now, it really sits on that foundation that conflict is intense. Conflict is real. Mm-hmm. And and if we are not paying attention to it and learning and getting the skills, then people's lives literally, so everybody may not lose their life, but they lose a lot of themselves because conflict is not resolved. I was listening to you and still thinking about the young man who didn't speak English. Yeah. And what struck me about that example is even if he didn't understand the words, he understood that something different was being taught here. Like he got a glimpse of a different way of doing life and doing relationships. Since you are, I put the label communication expert on you. Um, When you talk about conflict and the second story, it was much more about grief and loss, right? Um, Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. How much of the experience of conflict is spoken and how much of it is the unspoken stuff behind the words? Yeah, I, I, don't quote me on being at completely accurate with this, but I'm going to say that the larger percentage of it is in the unspoken. I think, number one, people, people are just not comfortable with conflict. Number two, you know, we communicate with our bodies, right? Body language is a huge part of communication. And then people don't trust each other with the real stuff, right? It Mm -hmm. really takes some sitting down and and communicating over time for people to come clean and be vulnerable with what's really at the bottom of the conflict that they're experiencing. So I would say it's much more about what's not being said. It's it's why we teach the skills of listening beneath the words to really paying attention to the whole person, including the body language, including the words that can cue you that something else is going on here or deeper feelings are really what are at the root of this. And we need to get those things out on the table. You mentioned active listening. 
But if we go beyond that, how else do you open the door to the unspoken as a facilitator? Mm -hmm. We'll get to mm -hmm. your current work. I know it relates to that as yeah. well. But but how, or if you were to give a tip to any of our listeners who, who are in a conversation and you feel like there's stuff that's just not being said, but you want to get to it, how do we do yeah. that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that's really uh, important for me, you said that I was in theater first and, and then got into, I actually got into conflict resolution after. Uh, and it's one of the things I think that has saved me in the work. And you, you know, too, I use a lot of theater in my work because I feel like if people can really try to experience what it is we're talking about, as opposed mm -hmm. to just learning a skill that they take it on, they feel it. And then that begins to bring up emotions, right? So when you say things like, uh, oh, well, you just have to learn how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, that sounds great. But how, how do you really, how do you really, do that? Right. How do you really do that? So you really do try to take on what is it like to be that this person in the experience. So if I'm mediating, helping to facilitate to this conversation, then I'm going to ask that if you were to put yourself in these shoes in this situation, so what would that sound like? What would, what would you do in this situation if you were in their shoes, right? But let's really think about what in their shoes means. So let's go through all of the things that that could mean and to really kind of rewind the situation, but with them really coming at it from the other person's perspective, really walking them through it. Uh, the other thing that I do is, uh, you know, we use, yes, active listening, but we use it, or I use it certainly with the intention of being able to put on the table something that that I've heard the other person say that I know that the person in conflict with them did not hear so mm -hmm. that I can help them to hear. Like, sometimes they just agreed with you, but they've done it in a different way than, than is familiar to you so that I can ask you to say, what is it that you heard them say? And what is it that you think that they meant by that? And ask them to then really share, well, what does that mean for you? Why is this important for you to speak? Speak from a values place is really important because I think that people don't speak in that way and values really are at the root of so much of the conflicts that we mm -hmm. have. So to, to do the deeper work of digging deep. So not just, well, can you repeat back what they said, but let's really get to the place of what that really means for them and why we think that they've said that. And they can also talk about what they value around this piece that they're talking about and why it's important for this to get resolved for them so that we're really digging into the deeper places, not just the feelings, but where this comes from for you. I so appreciate that glimpse at the depth to which we can go in this work if it's done well. So it's not just yeah. a Band-Aid. So thank, thank you, you for that example. Since you've been doing this for a long time, and I know you've been doing it, it when, when, when people go to lynnmaureenhurdle.com, you know, you read the bio and it says, I've done this in the Bronx. I've done this in Hong <laughs> Kong. I've done this in South Africa. You've done this everywhere. But if we want to get real for a moment, this is hard work, yes. usually done under the auspices of non-for-profit organizations. Mm -hmm. So you're not well paid. 
you go I into- didn't used to be. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're doing really cool work, important work, not always monetarily valued, sometimes yes, in glamorous environments, but often not. That's right. And on top of it, you know, you have a husband at home, Warren, you have Jabari and Naeem, you have two sons. How, what kept you going? Like how, what kept you motivated to Mm -hmm. show up for not easy work, not always well compensated? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I do have to say this for myself as an African-American woman, most of the experiences were taking place with people who look like me or people of color. And I know that the services that uh, that we were delivering were things that they didn't normally get, uh, Mm -hmm. didn't have as much access to. And I think that that for me was keeping me going and kept me going because it was the kind of work that allowed me to bring my sons actually into the work. They got trained early in conflict mm-hmm. resolution skills and they were hitting the road with me and doing workshops from the Jabari from the time that he was six years old. And then Naeem came along for the ride and he would grab the mic from th- age three on <laughs> and it really allowed, and he hasn't stopped, but it really allowed me to bring them into the work uh, and having skills that they had a really good foundation for. And then I do have to say that I worked with some amazing people, you being one of them, that that really saw the value, right? Uh, none of sure. us were making great money. And but we knew what we had. We knew that we had uh, a team of people who believed in the work and that we were delivering services to communities that really needed and also saw the value like that young man saw the value. He was not an exception that these young people saw what we were bringing and they ate it up and they used it and they used it to really make successful conversations and resolutions. Here's a word from our sponsor. That's me. I invite you to check out myfourthact.com. There's a whole other world of fourth act conversations going on beyond this podcast. Myfourthact.com. Please take a look. You mentioned that because you are trained an actress, as an actress, that's one of your passions. You you did a lot of it in the work that you did. And I know that yeah. you and I have done some acting together in workshops. But in the spirit of a fourth act conversation, when I speak with somebody who has multiple passions, which is part of me maybe wants to be an actress and wants to be in a Hollywood movie or wants to be on Broadway. But part of me wants to do this really important community work, Uh, especially for me as an African-American woman. I want to serve my people. How how did you reconcile those? Or did you have to reconcile that? What, what, What was that like? Yes. Well, you you know, it's funny when I transferred out of theater and into conflict resolution when I was in college, uh, they would give these assignments and I would come prepared in character of the person that we were studying and do these monologues. And so one of my professors said, you're in the wrong major. You really need to be in theater. And I (laughs) and I laughed and I thought, wow, okay, so. 
I can actually bring this here. Like it's appreciated. He sees that I have this value. So I think because I was able to use my skills uh, and I knew the work was important, I was able to say, okay, so for now, because I, I always had the, actually the fourth act dream or maybe the fifth act dream, like for now, I'm going to use these skills in this work but I still am holding on to this dream that uh, Hollywood is mine one day. <laughs> I I love I love the phrase for now. It's actually very powerful because it gives us permission to to not constantly question where we are, and it allows for a gentler evolution rather than a forced evolution. Nice. That place. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. For now, how liberating that is. And it, it keeps is. doors open to all sorts of other possibilities down the line. Yeah. And I love that too, because so many people that I know, uh, and this is not disrespect, but so many people that I know who went to college for something didn't end up doing it and really felt like, well, it's never going to happen. And I never felt like that. I always felt like, well, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going to get there. I just, I don't know the route yet, but I've never given up on it at all. Yeah. That's a perfect segue to uh, my sense was of you is, and if I'm saying this wrong, please correct me that <laughs> as you got to your mid to later fifties, something yes. shifted inside of you where you said, I, I don't want to be below the radar so much. I want to be above the radar. Yes. And I'm I'm willing to step into a more public version of Lynn. Mm -hmm. Am I stating that correctly? Yes. Yes. So what 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 happened in your life that took you there? Uh, well, you know, I actually went through a period of not believing in myself for doing this work in a wider way. I felt like I was going to just stay where I was because everybody I knew was staying where they were and just really kind of saying, this is, this is what you do. This is who we are. And, you know, it's good work and we're ser serving the community, but it was really, I have to say, depressing me because I felt like I was made for wider work, that, that there was something bigger on the horizon for me, but I couldn't figure out how to get it. And you happened to come into town and we had lunch and we were talking and you said, if I may, and I knew uh, uh, probably he's going to give it to me straight. And you said, you, I hear you talking about the same people that I knew when we worked together. And, uh, and I feel like you have a wider circle than that. You said, I've moved into a circle of more and more people, right? That I don't know all the same people that we used to work with, that my work has taken me to places to meet people in, in very different spaces. And I, that really hit me that you were absolutely right. And I'm a believer in being able to be around people who are doing what you do or aspire to do. And I just said, you know what, I don't know how to do this yet. And I went and I hired a business coach 
And from there, I, I and I did everything they told me to do. That's the other thing, right? I wasn't throwing my money away. You, you know what to do. I don't. And that began to take me to very different places. Yes. And so I just continued. I hired another coach after that. And, and she absolutely changed my world. And, and, and that's really what it is. But I have to say that that conversation is what sparked it for me. You reminded me of that before we did this podcast. And then I actually remember, you know, sometimes we just blabber and we say something. (laughs) I I, want to share a related story that was life-changing for me. And Mm -hmm. the woman has no idea that she changed my life. I had just gotten my first big corporate job as a trainer, Mm -hmm. 1999. And I was going, gosh, I don't know if this is for me. Am I just selling my soul? You know, I'm, I'm used to community <laughs> focused business that has a deep yeah. purpose. I was suddenly making twice as much money, but I remember sitting at a bar in a Manhattan hotel next to this woman who was in a training that I was observing. My colleague, Herminia was teaching it and she was the head of learning and development for a big blue chip Wall Street firm. And she mm-hmm. said, my philosophy in life is that every seven years, I need to move and do something completely different. And where that landed for me, it was like, that was the for now for me. It said, for now, it's okay that I'm doing this. And it will change again. And that sense that nothing is forever. And for now, you know, and she has no idea that that comment set me free (laughs) because she was just throwing it aside and (laughs) all the little ways in which we impact each other without knowing. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because I don't think you even knew the impact that had on me. Uh, uh, Yeah. I love that you gave a shout out to your business coaches. And I I just want to say to to our listeners, I like to joke that I I don't do anything alone anymore. Mm -hmm. And the moment I've allowed other people to help me, and I have a really nice life. I have a very expansive life. But I had the same business coach for 15 years, yeah. you know, 15 years, Kathy in New York. And mm-hmm. to this day, I have support for everything. Yes. And that really set me free. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Give us a few specific ways, examples of specific ways in, in which you stepped out beyond the life that was more comfortable. Like give us some yeah. specific examples, Lynn. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't have an online presence at all, right? So my first coach was just, you have to have a website. And and I, and I love the way she did it. She just simply said, if you don't, we don't have everything together now. So you get the name up and you get under construction, but just so people have something to go to right away, because she already knew, look, I had, you have lots of experience. You know, I had 30 years at that point, 30 plus years at that point. So it's like the experience piece is not the problem. It's that people don't know who you are. So get seen right away, get a website. And then she said, you've got to be uh, writing. So write a blog and you need to write it regularly so that you have content out there. So grateful to her for that. Monique, thank you for that because I have, as now where I am, my team is uh, putting me all over a social media post and they're like, you have so much content. <laughs> like I never would have without taking the advice of the coach, you know, my coach. And then when my second 
coach was just get yourself, pitch yourself to people. So like I pitched myself to psychology today, having no idea that uh, I was going to get it. And actually the way I got it was my coach said to me, you need to just talk to people and tell them what you're doing. And I'm sitting in a restaurant with a parent from one of my kids' schools. And I just say, you know, oh, I just really am trying to figure out how I I get in touch with psychology today. She's like, I write for them. You want to write for them? <laughs> I'll, I, I'll, you know, I'll get you to, to talk to the person. And she had me talk to the editor. And there was, you know, uh, just to be able to just say, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do. And to really just say, put myself out there. So it's scary. So what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Okay. Well, you've heard no before. So just go ahead and say to people, this is what I'm doing. Don't know if you know someone, right? Uh, just even to say that I want to write a book at some point and being able to talk to somebody who said, hey, I can help you do that. I mean, all of those things for me were just me saying I'm no longer going to be silent and in the shadows. I'm actually just going to start talking to people and then doing the kinds of things that get me noticed over time. Just believing that if it isn't today, it'll be tomorrow. And if it isn't tomorrow, there's another tomorrow coming. But to keep consistently putting myself out there, either in written form or just speaking to people. What I heard as you were talking, and this is Akeem's interpretation, there's a power in publicly claiming your desires. If we yes. keep them a secret, it's harder for the universe to help us along. If we want universal <laughs> help, it's good to claim it. But that can yes. give some courage because that can be the voice that says, who the heck do you think you are? You're not a PhD psychologist. You're going to write for psychology today. And, and Were you written, inside my head? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and you've written some friggin' powerful stuff for psychology today. I've read your contributions. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. No, that's exactly right. But you know what was a more powerful voice is uh, my mom uh, succumbed to breast cancer at, at 60. And so when you say, you know, in my late 50s or mid 50s, um, I'm thinking I'm approaching the age where she left this earth. And uh, she was pretty daggone powerful, but there was so much more that she could have done. And in fact, she was more in the shadows, right? When she was just an amazing talent. And so for, that was a big piece that drove me too. is, so what do you want to do? Because I never claimed that I too would, you know, go early or that I could yeah. get breast You know, of course I know that I could, but I never claimed that. But I did see that, I don't know when I'm going to go. And so I had to decide, do I want to be in the shadows or do I want to step out there uh, just for myself and even for her legacy to just let folks know, uh, you know, this is this is what I'm made of. Right. Uh, and I, I, I deserve a place out here and I'm going to claim it. And it's scary, but I don't care. Scarier is not being able to pay my bills, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's a hell of a lot scarier life. One of the ways in, you, in which you stepped out. Let me put it this way. I think of you as a Bronx girl through and through, 
And yes. at some point a few years ago, you decided, oh, I'm going to get myself a place in California as well. And you That's suddenly correct. became bi-coastal. Yeah. I have a hunch that must have freaked quite a few people out in your <laughs> circle. <laughs> just, just talk about the decision to say, number one, I can do it. I deserve to do it. And because that was literally leaving a nest That's of right. sorts. That's right. What was that yes. like? Yes. Well, it was, first of all, amazing. But you need to know that the first time I went to uh, Los Angeles, I was uh, 24. And I knew then this is where I should have been. This is my soul place. And I'm going to get there. I tried to find jobs. I couldn't do it. I had to return to New York, but it never left me. And then my aunt, my aunt Aline was a, a professional dancer and she had, she was lived by coastly. And I just thought, this is the coolest day going thing. I'm going to do this one day because I didn't think when I went to California, I thought, oh, I want to live there. But when I heard she was by coastal, I thought, no, that's cooler. I <laughs> want to live in both places. And so I just never left. It never left me. And uh-huh. then finally, I just said, uh, you know, a few about four years ago, I said, I have got to get there. I, I just do. I, I need to make this bicoastal thing happen. And once again, it was another coach who actually lives out in Southern California. And, and she said, I don't know what you're waiting for. You know, she said, I tuned into the universe and they said, there's nothing blocking it. And I just said, okay. And just went out there and started looking and, and got the place. And, and, and I have to tell you, I started looking in Santa Barbara and was defeated because I found nothing (laughs) and ended up going to this, (laughs) I ended up going to this uh, hotel that was 30, uh, about 35 minutes south of Santa Barbara to stay and started passing these places thinking, this is gorgeous. And once again, just said, I wonder if there's anything here happened on a place that had open house and I knew right away, this was where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So even again, just putting yourself out there, not even knowing like, this is exactly what I'm going to do or how it's going to show up. And the universe absolutely came through for me on that. You mentioned you call Los Angeles your soul place. Yes. <laughs> so can you describe to our listeners what happens to your soul when you are in California? How does yes. your soul experience it? Yes. Even my son, Naeem, said, Mom, you are you when you are there, uh, I, which is pretty powerful yeah. for uh, a 19-year-old to say about the mom that he's always known. Right. Uh, And what happens is I become incredibly creative. I smile so much more and people think I smile a lot in which I do, but I smile so much more and I feel at peace. I feel like no matter what gets thrown at me, I will crush it when (laughs) I'm in California. And it's so funny because, you know, New York is all about you can make it here. You can make it anywhere, which I absolutely prescribe to. But New York doesn't do that to my soul. I'm just grateful to be from the Bronx because I have that killer instinct, you know, um, and uh, never say die. So that carries into California. But when I'm there, I can be uh, much looser in terms of not having to be on my guard so much. It's just let it flow. What, what comes to me is going to come to me. And if it's a problem, 
a solution will come. And if it's something really great, then I'm, then I'm going to be great at it. It it just feels like uh, this is it. This is, this is the place where I'm going to do my best work and be my best self. In the spirit of flow, some powerful stuff happened last year to our country and in your response to it. You know, Mm -hmm. it was the murder of George Floyd and a whole host of other people. There was a, a, a a Black Lives Matter movement that suddenly had forged wider alliances and allies joined the movement. And I remember you, this is my take on it. You, you said, I want to do some group experiences called on the matter of race. You've been doing this work for a very long time. So your, your, your skills were there to meet the moment. And I remember when you announced it, I had this feeling she's probably wondering if anybody wants to do this. (laughs) And and the response was so huge. You kept adding more and more groups. You're starting a new set of groups in May. Yes. Talk for us what called you to do the work and Mm -hmm. what you as an African-American facilitator, woman, mother, daughter, um, value about getting a chance to do that work with white people? Yeah, thank you for for the question. So (laughs) what actually happened is I was at a retreat with two uh, women who were former clients of mine, but who also became friends. And we were uh, working under the same coach, Jennifer Kamen. So we were doing one of her retreats together. And they are two white women of different ages. One is my age, one is uh, 20 years younger. And they said, at the same time, we'd love to do work with you. But I wonder if you have any interest in running a group for white people like us who really know nothing about racism, uh, who are experiencing people of color as friends for the first time in our lives and really want to do something about racism. And I said, no, I don't I don't want to work with white people. Y'all are too hard. <laughs> and I said that because when I've done the uh the diversity, equity, work. Yes. a lot of times it's mandated. And so you don't get people, in particular white people, who want to be there and actually learn. Mm-hmm. They really put up uh, their defensiveness, right? And so it's harder work. It isn't that it doesn't get rewarding when you get through, but it's harder work. And so I said, no, I don't really want to do it. But the more we talked, the more spirit said, nope, you're supposed to do this. And so I said, okay, I'm supposed to do this. Then I'm putting my parameters around it. Everybody's got to be interviewed. So I know that they really do want to do this and they're Mm -hmm. ready for this. And everybody's got to say how they want want to use this because they're going to start using it. They're going to start doing some kind of action midway through because it's a six-month journey. And three months in, everybody's got to take the first step to do something uh, towards using the work that they're learning. And so I decided to do that. And really, the first group there were eight people and then they wanted to do another round. So there were, there were three that continued, but then George Floyd 
was murdered and there was this explosion. And I originally was once again saying, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. These two groups were fine. And of course, Spirit said, nope, this is your work. I, of course, knew it had to be. And then the other thing, you know, that happened is that uh, my husband, Warren, died very unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, as a Black woman, felt like, uh, you know, his body really gave out and I felt like I've watched him deal with racism his whole life. Uh, he grew up in the South I and mean, he just, and in New York and just dealing with trying to really get uh, people to pay attention to racism and the importance of it. And I felt like I owed it to him to do something. And then I have to say that both of my sons were devastated uh, around the George Floyd video. I had mm-hmm. hoped that they wouldn't watch, wouldn't watch it, but of course they watched it and saw themselves in it. And so they asked mom, is, is there anything that anyone can do? And I was so happy to be able to say, well, you know what? Um, I'm here's what I'm going to do, right? Here's what I'm doing. I'm doing this group for white people. And uh, I want them to be able to be together with me and to really learn about racism and be able to have the conversations where they explore themselves and how they've been complicit in it, not because I want them to feel badly about it, but because I want them to understand how pervasive it is and the effects on all of us. And then I want to empower them to know that they can start to do things, simple things, people having conversations with family members that they wanted to confront their whole lives. Like, oh my God, I like, I may not know about racism, but I know what you're saying is nonsense. And I really don't know what to say back to you, right? And they're having these conversations. People are writing about it. People are, are brought me, I've been brought into the corporate space of one of the women who was in from the beginning because she was uh, head of DEI. And as a white woman, she was getting real pushback about being a white woman head Mm -hmm. of DEI. And she was very defensive. And then when she started doing the journey, she said, oh my God, I don't blame them. (laughs) Of course they were upset. Like, what did I really know? So how could I really do this justice? I mean, all kinds of things are coming out of these groups that they all are surprised even at what they're learning and how, yes, it may be difficult, but they're actually applying the learning. Since you mentioned Warren's passing, and I'm thinking about the whole last year where uh, yeah. we've been through COVID, uh, we've been through Black Lives Matter, which is just, yeah. that never ends, that goes on. Yes. The, mm-hmm. the underlying concerns that are brought to the surface have not been resolved. But you also uh, were contending with a loss of your longtime partner. Your sons yeah. are dealing with that. Yes. So I would imagine, and I want to test this, that it was a, a time of both expansion, but also introversion. Um, how? Yeah. yeah. As, you, as you look ahead, where do you go with all that? going forward. <laughs> let's just let's just focus on 2021. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, we're just starting. I mean, we've come through, but because so much happened, you know, actually right after Warren got Warren uh, passed, I actually was sick, sick for 46 days and I was sicker than I've ever been in my entire life and couldn't get a handle on what it was. Mm. And I'm going to tell you what it was. Ultimately, it landed in my stomach, but it was ultimately fear. It was tremendous, overwhelming fear. And it just sent me into a real place of sickness. And once I figured that out, I was determined that that was not going to be my destiny, that I was going to have to deal with fear and really just continue to move forward. And so for 2021, for me, it's about expanding my business. Actually, I've officially brought uh, Naeem into the business with a protege of mine, and they're developing uh, a side that will really do work with millennials and um, and uh, Gen X. And I am writing a television script because I, as I said, Hollywood, here I come. I am determined that that's going to be, but it, but it's a different focus now because I can see how the stories that I want to write and bring to life come under the conflict resolution umbrella that I still mm-hmm. want to teach under that umbrella so the conflicts and the way that they play out, I think, will be very different than the way that we see a lot of conflicts playing themselves out. So I've learned from my work in this field to enhance what I'm writing so that it brings to life all kinds of people, right, from all walks of life who do conflict in very different ways. Uh, and so for me, 2021 is really about expanding even more and just being fearless about it. Like, look, we've come through this. And for my sons, they have been remarkable. It has been the most brutal thing in their lives. And they have been determined that they're going to come through and that it is going to do for them what nothing else in their lives could do, which is to place them in a place where they're going to go for everything they've got. Anything they want to do is theirs because if they can lose their dad, who they were so close to, and still see that there is life ahead for them, they can do anything. That's a glorious message. I'm going to ask a question and I feel like you've already answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Mm -hmm. because I ask it in every conversation I have on this podcast, based on what you know now, if you had to give a little piece of advice to young Lynn, Lynn in, mm. Lynn in junior high or Lynn in high school, if you could whisper in her ear, what would you say to her? <laughs> <laughs> I would say never give up on being Emma Fields, Lynn, because yes. uh, never give up on her because that's who you, that's who you going to be in your way. You'll be Lynn, but that's, that is who I wanted to be. And that is who I dare going short am going to be in my own way. The way you just said it, I thought, gosh, Emma Peel is a beautiful archetype, right? Mm-hmm, an, mm-hmm. an archetype that many yes. of us have in us 
but not all of us have the courage to be that um, that ferocious or that yes, confident, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, where where can people go to find out more about you and how you serve the world? Yeah, you can go to my website, lynnmaureenhurdle.com, but you can also reach out to me. A, a lot of times, I mean, you, if you go to the website, you certainly can do uh, a free consult, uh, do, you know, 15, 30 minute free consult with folks, but also Lynn with an E on the end. Yes. <laughs> Lynn at LynnMaureenHurdle.com is my email. I love when people reach out to say, you know, how can I work with you or how can I get you to come in and do workshops for my organization or, uh, you know, my book is on Amazon. You can get that. But certainly those are the ways that they can reach me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, right? At Conflict Closer on Instagram. And uh, Facebook is Lynn Maureen Hurdle. You can reach me there. And I'm on LinkedIn at Lynn Maureen Hurdle. There's all kinds of places you can find me if you really So what I'm hearing, there's no excuse to not find you a Lynn Maureen Hurdle. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's right. There is none. <laughs> well, on, on that note, I so enjoyed chatting with you, communing with you, <laughs> and uh, to be continued. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.